this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Coca-Cola Company's second quarter earnings results conference call. Today's call is being recorded. If you have any objections, please disconnect at this time. All participants will be on listen-only mode until the formal question and answer portion of the call. I would like to remind everyone that the purpose of this conference is to talk with investors and therefore questions from the media will not be addressed. Media participants should contact Coca-Cola's Media Relations Department if they have any questions. I would now like to introduce Mr. Tim Leverage, Vice President of Investor Relations, Financial Planning, and Analysis. Mr. Leverage, you may now begin. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with James Quincy, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and John Murphy, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, please note that we've posted schedules under the Financial Information tab in the Investor section of our company website, at www.cocacolacompany.com. These schedules reconcile certain non-GAAP financial measures, which may be referred to by our senior executives during this morning's discussion, to our results as reported under generally accepted accounting principles. You can also find schedules in the same section of our website that provide an analysis of gross and operating margins. In addition, this conference call may contain forward-looking statements, including statements concerning long-term earnings objectives, and should be considered in conjunction with cautionary statements contained in our earnings release and in the company's most recent periodic SEC report. Following prepared remarks this morning, we will turn the call over for your questions. Please limit yourself to one question, and if you have more than one, please ask your most pressing ones first and then re-enter the queue. Now let me turn the call over to James. Thanks, Tim, and good morning, everyone. In the second quarter, thanks to the tremendous efforts by our associates and our bottling partners, we executed on our key Emerging Stronger priorities as many parts of the world gradually reopened. As we continue to deliver on our transformation, we are encouraged by our results and are raising our top line, bottom line, and cash flow guidance, even as we are accelerating investments for the future. At the same time, we also recognize the trajectory may be dynamic and understand that we must remain flexible to respond to changes in the environment. This morning, I'll provide a business update and discuss how disciplined innovation and more effective and efficient marketing are driving broad-based share gains and are delivering enhanced value for our system. Then I'll hand the call over to John to discuss our financial update, including our improved outlook for the year. Last year, in the face of a global pandemic, we laid out a path to emerge stronger across five strategic priorities. We are delivering against those priorities, and this quarter demonstrates the power of our system. We started 2021 with promising results. Mobility and business levels improved in the first quarter, and this trend continued in the second. Consumer mobility increased in markets where vaccination rates are reaching meaningful levels and our business has recovered as we lap last year's biggest lockdown impacts and see our strategies in motion. Consumers have started to return to many prior routines, and as a result, our away-from-home volumes steadily improved as a percent of our business this quarter, driving strong price mix and margin acceleration across the enterprise. However, the recovery remains asynchronous, and several parts of the world have dealt with further waves of infections, leading to delayed openings and, in some cases, heightened restrictions. India and Southeast Asia 
where our only areas that did not see sequential volume acceleration on a two-year basis this quarter. Despite the asynchronous recovery, our revenues and earnings in the second quarter surpassed our 2019 results. We also made progress on share this quarter. We've said many times that gaining share is a key objective in our emerging stronger agenda. And I'm pleased to report that we have achieved that objective with broad-based share gains across categories, as well as in both our at-home and away-from-home channels in the quarter. And importantly, despite away-from-home channels not having fully recovered, our value share today is higher than the 2019 level, confirming that our effective brand building and innovation, along with our advanced revenue growth management and market execution capabilities, are working. So let me dive a bit deeper into the key drivers across our geographies. In Asia-Pacific, China saw continued momentum across categories, driven by both volume and improved mix with trademark Coca-Cola. We outpaced the overall macroeconomic recovery led by strong performance in away-from-home channels and business-to-consumer e-commerce. Australia and New Zealand were bright spots, performing at or close to the 2019 levels but they are currently seeing renewed lockdowns. While Japan is struggling to come out of lockdowns, there have been tangible successes with consumer-led innovation, small-pack initiatives, and improved customer execution of key initiatives. As I mentioned earlier, in India and across much of Southeast Asia, resurgence in the virus impacted further recovery. But as India's restrictions have eased a bit, we're encouraged by the level of resilience in both the business as well as our system associates as they have navigated this resurgence. In EMEA, Europe is still being impacted by some level of restriction, but vaccination rates and consumer confidence are improving. Because of this and our strong bottle alignment and marketing investment, we are seeing a much improved away from home mix, even as at-home volumes continue to grow. Great Britain and Russia, where mobility was at the highest, show notable volume outperformance relative to 2019, and sparkling soft drinks gained or maintained share in most of the top 10 markets in Europe. Eurasia and the Middle East are performing well despite a diverse recovery landscape. In Turkey and Pakistan, strong execution during the key Ramadan holiday and emphasis on snacking and meal occasions drove new consumers to the Coke brands. Africa delivered a strong first-half performance with affordability packages delivering good results despite tightened restrictions heading into the winter season and vaccination rates that are behind the rest of the world. In North America, the consumer environment improved through the quarter as many states lifted restrictions and consumer mobility increased. More frequent social gatherings and rising travel and event activity drove significantly higher demand for our brands in away-from-home channels while at-home volumes remained robust, leading to broad-based share gains in the quarter. Within away from home, eating and drinking was the strongest performing channel, with travel, hospitality, and at-work trailing. In Latin America, lockdowns eased as vaccination programs rolled out in countries such as Mexico and Argentina, and stimulus programs in Brazil and Chile also helped drive recovery. Our results and year-to-date share gains in the region continue to be driven by commercial initiatives to improve execution, as well as a focus on affordable packs like refillables. 
Costa's UK coffee shop revenues recovered almost entirely to 2019 levels through the reopening phase, despite ongoing capacity restrictions. Increased consumer traffic and digital momentum are also sporting recovery as restrictions ease in other countries where we have a retail presence. Our bottling investment group faced pandemic-related challenges, particularly in India and Southeast Asia, but managed to sequentially improve or gain share in India, Vietnam, the Philippines, and South Africa. DIG also made great progress against its growth and productivity agenda, increasing year-to-date comparable operating margin approximately 300 basis points from the 2019 level. Our category teams are collaborating with a global lens, enabling us to move even faster towards our beverages for life ambition. By continuously engaging consumers around their passion points and testing ideas in a coordinated and increasingly digital way, we're getting even and better at what we've always done best, building love brands around the world. For a few examples, the Coke trademark portfolio is experiencing robust growth, led by brand Coke and driven in part by Coca-Cola Zero Sugar which has contributed double-digit growth in value and volume year-to-date. The new Coca-Cola Zero Sugar recipe has already launched in nearly 50 markets across six of our operating units, including last week's announcement in the U.S., with more to come this year. Early results indicate the recipe and simplified packaging design are resonating strongly with consumers. In sparkling flavors, we are accelerating our Zero Sugar offerings and executing global campaigns the focus on key occasions. Sprite has done well globally, benefiting from the Let's Be Clear campaign, which has led to improved share gains. Likewise, I watched the Fanta Mystery Flavor campaign in Europe for accelerated growth and improved share. Dairy remains an opportunity for their overall portfolio, with premium offerings in key brands like Hollandia Drinkable Yogurt and Santa Clara's Flavored Milk showing healthy growth. We continue to leverage Fairlight's great success in the U.S. with a recent expansion in Canada. There are many bright spots in hydration, sports, tea, and coffee. We see momentum across brands in the U.S., including good results from a renewed focus on smart water, a new brand bundle from Gold Peak Tea, exciting flavor innovations in Dunkin' Coffee, and continued growth from expanded distribution of Topo Chico sparkling mineral water. We've had early success with Costa ready-to-drink launches in Asia, with meaningful share gains in key markets in China, and was already voted a hit product in Japan. The rapid consumer traction and attractive proposition of healthy indulgence Baja, which began as an intelligent local experiment in the U.S., led us to believe it can transition to be a bigger bet and travel internationally. The recent launch in China, with the local name of Little Universe, has been encouraging with meaningful value share gains in a short period of time. We continue to build on momentum with the launch of Ahar's first 360 degree marketing campaign. Last summer, we announced more exploration in the dynamic flavored alcoholic beverage category with the launch of Topo Chico Hard Seltzer. Topo Chico Hard Seltzer is now in 17 markets worldwide and we've authorized Molson Coors the right to produce and sell Topo Chico hard seltzer in the United States. Launching a global brand in markets where the category is at different stages of development comes with many learnings, and our local knowledge allows us to adapt with speed to win or, in some cases, develop this new category. 
from strong performance in Europe where available to a top two position in Mexico to the U.S. where velocity is robust and the product has enjoyed positive consumer reaction. We are encouraged by recent trends and are gaining valuable insights along the way. We continue to make progress with our consumer-facing digital propositions. Internally, we were building out our platform services organization to support the enterprise as we have a sizable opportunity to become a holistic digital leader. Digital is of the utmost importance, and we're also building an integrated ecosystem of platforms that create value across the digital and physical worlds. We are partnering with our bottlers to leverage the power of the system's physical footprints online, creating enhanced value for customers across the globe through a best-in-class eB2B platform. With pockets of excellence in many regions, we are working with our bottling partners to evolve and streamline our approach. Working together as a system allows us to improve distribution economics, solve unmet needs of outlet owners, and opens new revenue streams by providing other CPG brands access to our deep customer relationships and global distribution networks. We are building a digital one-stop shop for customers, seamlessly offering most of the products they need to stock their shelves and operate their daily business. We're also ensuring consumers get the frictionless experience they demand with more availability and assortment of the products they need and love. On top of the initiatives discussed today, we also continue to work with our bottlers to embed RGM principles and integrate execution capabilities into our processes to continue driving basket value and incidents as the world reopens. To enhance the execution, we have an opportunity to win with more consumers and grow share by having the right products in the right channels at the right price, supported by the right activations. We also continue with our sustainability agenda to create shared value for our stakeholders and communities we serve. In addition to integrating ESG considerations into our daily business decisions, during the second quarter, we released our business and ESG report, highlighting progress across all our goals, as well as our World Without Waste report, which focuses exclusively on our work to create a circular economy for our packaging materials. Highlights include the continued rollout of 100% recycled PET, with 30 markets representing approximately 30% of our total sales offering at least one brand in 100% our pet packaging. We've continued the expansion of refillables and dispense packaging and ultra-lightweighting technologies, and we delivered a 60% global collection rate for packaging in 2020. We are proud of these achievements, and we know there is more work to be done. Recently, we announced that we've become a global implementation partner for the Ocean Cleanups River Project supporting the deployment of cleanup systems across 15 rivers across the world. We will embed our marketing capabilities into this partnership to create consumer awareness of the issues and the actions we're all taking. Putting it all together, we realize there's a range of possible outcomes when it comes to the pandemic in the second half of the year, given the asynchronous recovery. While we're over-delivered relative to our expectations in the first half, and have raised guidance for 2021. We are biased towards a growth mentality and will invest behind this momentum going into the rest of the year. Our networked organization is beginning to help us move faster to capture opportunities and create value for our stakeholders. As a system, we are increasingly equipped to win and we're excited about the future. 
Now I'll turn the call over to John to discuss our second quarter results and the drivers of our updated outlook. Thank you, James. This morning I'll highlight the drivers of our second quarter performance as well as our revised guidance. In the second quarter, we built on the momentum from the beginning of the year and our business mix improved as consumer mobility increased across many markets. Our Q2 organic revenue was up 37%, comprised of concentrated shipments up 26%, and price mix improvement of 11% as we lapped the biggest pandemic impacts of 2020. Unit case growth was 18%, our shipments outpaced unit cases in the quarter, and year-to-date due to cycling the destocking we experienced last year and certain timing impacts this year, including five additional days in the first quarter. Improvement in the away-from-home channels and positive segment mix from higher growth in our finished goods businesses positively impacted our price mix. Channel and package mix also affected comparable gross margins, which showed significant improvement relative to last year, even with certain inflationary costs like transportation coming through. As we've said throughout the pandemic, our goal is to emerge stronger, and we are investing ahead of recovery as markets reopen. As a result, we have doubled our marketing dollars year over year, cycling the significant pullback from the same period last year. Even with the step up in those investments, we delivered a 170 basis point improvement in comparable operating margins driven by the strong top line. Below operating income, we saw a benefit from improvement in our equity income as our bottling partners also emerged stronger, as well as reduced interest expense on a comparable basis. As a result, second quarter comparable EPS of 68 cents was an increase of 61% year over year. We also delivered strong year-to-date free cash flow of approximately $5 billion, double last year's results. Our cash flow performance has also driven the return of our leverage to within the target range of two to two and a half times. Since we reiterated guidance last quarter, the operating environment and our business have clearly improved. Given the improvement year-to-date and the increased visibility we are raising our outlook for the full year. We now expect to deliver year-over-year organic revenue growth of 12 to 14% and comparable EPS growth of 13 to 15% in 2021. Our steady focus on cash generation continues to yield progress and our updated guidance for free cash flow of at least $9 billion implies a dividend payout ratio significantly improved from where we began the year and is edging closer to our targeted level of 75% over the long term. So as we think about the remainder of the year, a few things to keep in mind. The recovery phase continues to be asynchronous, creating a dynamic demand environment in addition to causing many parts of the supply chain to experience tightness as a result. While experiencing some isolated pressure points, our team is navigating the challenge as well through supplier diversification and inventory management. Despite recent upward pressures in many commodities driven by pandemic-related disruption, we feel good about the rest of the year. And as we anticipate hedges rolling off in 2022, we are working 
with our system to take appropriate action in the back half of this year to manage the ongoing volatility using revenue growth management capabilities and supply chain productivity levers. With regard to marketing investment, we have three priorities. Increase consumer-facing marketing spend toward levels similar to 2019, improve the quality of that spend, and allocate the spend in a more targeted manner. Our currency outlook continues to contemplate a tailwind of 1% to 2% to the top line and approximately 2 to 3% to comparable EPS in 2021, based on current spot rates and our hedged positions. That said, the currency markets remain volatile and dependent on recovery from the pandemic, as well as macroeconomic factors. We will also have some additional timing considerations with the leveling out of our concentrate shipments that are running a bit ahead year-to-date, as well as six fewer days in the fourth quarter. To summarize, our company and our system have tackled many challenges through the pandemic, but we are emerging stronger thanks to the hard work of our people and the focus on our strategic priorities. With our network organization up and running, we're on a path to operate more efficiently and effectively and to unlock the enormous potential we have in our brands and across our markets. As James mentioned earlier, we remain clear-eyed as we look at the rest of the year, with many markets continuing to face obstacles, such as the spread of the COVID-19 Delta variant, while others continue to see the benefits of reopening. Overall, we are pleased with our progress in the first half of the year, and we're grateful for the commitment from the stakeholders across our ecosystem that contributed to our results. With that, operator, we are ready to take questions. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. In the interest of time, we ask that you please limit yourself to one question. If you have any additional questions, you may rejoin the queue. Our first question comes from Dara Mosinian with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Um, so on the revenue front, in, in markets like the U.S. where COVID concerns have now dissipated, can you just discuss how quickly consumer behavior is coming back, how that compares versus what you originally expected? Uh, presumably it's better than expected with the raise for your top-line guidance, but, you know, how that impacts your strategy going forward and maybe also what you see as the lasting changes in consumer behavior in, in some of those markets. Yeah, sure, Dara. Well, first, I'm not sure I would characterize the U.S. as uh, past COVID. Um, uh, it certainly moved to a phase like several other uh, markets where there's high levels of vaccination, where the, 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 the COVID, the most serious parts of the COVID are affecting uh, mainly the, un- the unvaccinated as well as some of the vulnerable. Um, so it's not, it's not over, and we can see that in the numbers. If you, if you just take a look for a second at uh, what's happened in the U.S., um, a, a couple of interesting things as, as, as it's moved into this reopening phase. Uh, firstly, uh, um, consumers, um, as we've talked before on, on, on these calls, we've always believed that we're humans are social creatures and that once the, the, the restrictions come down and uh, the panorama 
of, 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 the, of the virus allows people with confidence to go out, but they will go back out to all the away-from-home channels. They want to be social, and uh, they will go after the experiences. And this you can see very much beginning to happen in the second quarter. So if we look at our away-from-home channels, you can obviously see large rebounds uh, compared to the second uh, quarter last year, which is obviously logical given how much they fell uh, last year. But they have not yet all reached the levels of 2019. You could take a couple of channels uh, like QSR, uh, which was one of the ones that went down least last year, um, as they pushed uh, delivery, as they pushed uh, uh, pickup and, and closed the in-room dinings. Uh, those those channels, uh, even though many QSRs have still not yet fully reopened uh, in, uh, in 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 restaurant dining, um, they they have bounced back and are back uh, kind of at or above 2019 levels. Um, so, Q, for example, QSRs did well, and they're doing very well now. Whereas if you take channels like bars and taverns, um, they went down by about three quarters last quarter, Q2 last year. Now, of course, they've reopened, people have flocked back, and they have gone up by 200-odd percent, but that still means they're not back to 2019 levels. And you can go through the various away-from-home channels. Um, you know, you obviously, you know, travel and transportation are very like bars. So, People who had a good second quarter last year have generally held on or expanded on those gains in this uh, 2021, uh, and some which have bounced back are still not there, in part because COVID restrictions are still not fully gone uh, and confidence is still not fully back. But interestingly, uh, and I think positively from the Coca-Cola uh, company's point of view, if you look at the at-home channels, those that uh, those gains or those that extra consumer interaction with brands and products at home over the last 15 months has created some new behaviours and 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 engagement with brands that that may well be enduring. So it's quite possible that over time we will both regain the away from home business that we had before and hang on to some of the gains uh, in the at home. I mean, you can look at e-commerce, which was the poster child for growth in Q2 last year, uh, which grew exponentially, uh, that has basically stabilized, grown a little bit uh, this year, so they've held on to a step up. But you can also see that in some of the large stores, which obviously did well last year, they continue to grow this year, so you're getting growth on growth, and even the small stores that were impacted last year are bouncing back. So net-net, if you look at the U.S., you see an enduring resilience in the step-up of the at-home business and a uh, rebound in the away-from-home business that is in progress but not yet complete, uh, and I think that's what's driving the business. And that pattern, I think, is very visible as you look around other countries at like stages of development uh, in the COVID trajectory. In other words, restrictions are coming down and there's a high percentage of the population uh, vaccinated and therefore a big reopening, whether it's the UK and other places going, going into Europe. Thank you. Your next question Great, comes you. from Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Great, thanks. Good morning. Um, John, you offered definitely some perspective on the bigger picture profitability, um, and I know this quarter was kind of a new high watermark on operating margins, but I was curious if you think about the full year, and frankly, even into into 22, um, how you're thinking about 
the ability to better leverage your sales growth um, as, a, as a result of um, some of the restructuring work that you've been doing, but also in the vein of this come out stronger and what you've been able to achieve already and, and think you'll still be able to achieve in terms of changing package mix and, and premiumization. Um, so, again, it's sort of a longer-term margin question with the awareness that, you know, perhaps this quarter is, is more timing than, than something directly related to my question. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. And, and you're right, it would take uh, the rest of the call to explain all that happened before, so I'll, I'll spare you. But let, let's take a step back, and I think it's first the first part to your question, or the first part of the answer, is let's think about the two-year picture. Um, you know, in 2020, we saw at the gross margin line, we saw expansion driven primarily by a significant scale back of our operating costs and marketing investments, um, even despite there being also um, some gross margin compression in the same period. Uh, in 2021, we are pleased with the, the progress year to date on getting gross margins back to where we would like them to be. And I think we'll continue to um, see us get back close to 2019 levels um, by the end of the year. Um, but we're also, as James highlighted in, in, his, in the script, we're also very focused on, on investing in our brands and our key markets for, for the future. Uh, we've seen a good step up already year to date, and we continue to have that as a major priority for the second half of the year. Uh, so in, in a nutshell, if you take the two-year picture, you're going to see uh, on the operating margin front, you'll see uh, 2021, is there will be some compression versus 2020, just given the nature of what I just said, um, gross margins. Getting back, not quite there. Um, significant focus on reinvesting back into the business for the, for the mid to long term. But the good news, I think, by the end of this year, 21, will be better than 2019. Um, so that's first part one. Part two is if you look at 22 onwards, you know, we, we've talked about our flywheel um, driving the business from the top line through a, a much stronger marketing and innovation agenda to support the streamlined portfolio of brands that we, that we now are, um, are focused on. We've talked about innovation as being a continued driver of growth in the future. And, 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 and that all wraps into um, execution in the marketplace with our bottling partners uh, through a variety of levers, and not, um, not the least of which is our, our GM lever. So going into 22, 23, 24, um, the, the goal is the same as it has been. It's to continue to uh, be hyper-focused on improving our overall margin, um, margin equations. And, um, you know, Q2 was, was, a, was a good shot in the arm for us to continue on that path. Our next question comes from Nick Modi with RBC. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was, uh, James, I was hoping you can talk a little bit about Wabi, uh, you know, and the fact that you're rolling out to more countries. Maybe you could just give us some context on where exactly you're rolling it out. And, you know, what have you seen from, from that initiative and, uh, from, a, from a data standpoint? Because I know you guys can get direct access to that, whereas maybe some other um, direct-to-consumer platforms, you won't get that data, and if it's something that you think could work in the U.S. market? Um, sure. Um, Wabi is a set of, of features in a, in, a, in a digital ecosystem that allow us to both 
uh, do uh, direct to consumer, and I'll come back to it specifically how, and to do uh, B2B, both uh, or either for just the beverages or for multi, um, uh, multi-category uh, orders. Um, now, predominantly, where we're using uh, Wabi uh, in partnership with our, with, with our bottlers is more in the B2B space. We, we have done some uh, uh, experiments doing uh, B2C, but in the case of Wabi, the, the, the model that was used, uh, which is very appropriate in Latin America, um, where you have a very high density of mom-and-pop stores, essentially uh, the consumer uses the Wabi app to, to, to place an order. He want, they want to have a whole set of Cokes and, and Fantas and Sprites or whatever. <clears throat> that order goes into the app, and the app then shops the order um, to the mom and pops that are nearest to the consumer. Uh, and they can uh, accept uh, uh, that order, much like uh, you know, a ride-hailing service. Um, and given that they're likely to be 50, 100, 200 meters from the consumer in these high-density cities, uh, that they will just run round the product and deliver it in a very uh, short space of time, 15, 20 minutes uh, or less. Um, and so it is very uh, interesting, and we've actually also used it, uh, used that platform with some of the QSR restaurants in places like Argentina uh, to do the same thing. Uh, so it's an interesting experiment. We're getting a lot of insights and data. We have also expanded. Uh, on the B2C place to actually add other categories of other FMCG partners. So now you can you can place an order at the mom and pop for a whole series of categories, not just beverages. Um, so getting lots of interesting data uh, and insights on that. The other thing that we're doing um, uh, with B2B with a number of the bottlers uh, is using it to accelerate the digitization of one part of the relationship, particularly with the fragmented trade, whether it be mum and pops uh, or, or restaurants and cafes around the world, um, uh, which is, of course, you know, now that the, the, the rollout of smartphones and, and, and smart devices everywhere is expanding, uh, you don't necessarily need the salesperson uh, to turn up at the store in, in order to capture an order. And so we're blending the use of the sales force to do drive account development and drive all the in-store activations that we know uh, create impulse purchases and give us uh, advantaged execution, but leverage the platforms to, 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 to drive uh, order taking. And again, we're, we're getting a lot of learnings with the bottle on how that in, improves not just efficiency, uh, but just as importantly, the effectiveness uh, of the selling and the execution process. Again, there are, depending on where you are in the world, sometimes that's just a beverage uh, approach, but we've also got some experiments where it's a multi-category approach through the platform uh, and links to either wholesalers who, who deliver uh, either all or, or the non-beverage categories, um, etc. Anyway, standing back, the net of it is we continue to see the ongoing digitization of the interaction both of the consumer with the retailer and the retailer with the suppliers. And, and we think the Coke system globally um, with our bottling partners is in a tremendous position uh, to expand our, the, the depth of our relationship with the retailers, and we are being open-minded as to exactly what form that takes and working with them to uh, drive a whole set of experiments to see what works. Uh, more to come. 
Our next question comes from the line of Brian Spillane with Bank of America. Hey, uh, good morning. Um, so I, I think it is just a, a, a follow-up to, to Lauren, uh, Lauren's question earlier uh, ar- around margins. And just, just two, two items, John, if you can, if you can provide. One is just in terms of, of marketing for this year, um, I, I, I think I heard the way I read it was, was that you, you've actually increased the spend uh, or planning to increase the spend now uh, more versus, I guess, what was in your original plan. And then the second is, if, I don't know if I missed it, but just uh, can you give us kind of where we stand today in terms of how much of the savings from the reorganization have been captured and, and how much more uh, there is to go? Thanks, Brian. Yeah, on, on the first part, I, I think, again, looking at the year to date, I think we saw a big rebound in the second quarter, um, you know, with doubling our spend on consumer-facing activities. And... For the rest of the year, you know, with a with an eye to both um, delivering the year, but also being being well prepared for 22, uh, we have a very you know very robust investment agenda that will see us um, getting back to 2019 levels, um, and that's just that's just comparing dollars. When when you look on, under the hood, though, I think one of the big changes we've made in in recent months is to is to improve the quality of that spend. And so my um, uh, working with Manolo, our, 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 our objective is to, is to be able to actually generate more with the same, um, and we're pleased with the progress that we're making in that space, particularly as you, as you think about um, some of the newer areas, um, digital media, et cetera. Um, regarding the savings, um, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of the overall equation, and, and I think for me, rather than provide hard numbers, it's, uh, it gives us a degree of flexibility to um, invest behind some of the bigger bets, to, to think about um, our, our ongoing ability to pivot as, as, as market conditions dictate. And so it's, it's really less around um, you know, taking those savings to the bottom line and much more around having the flex to um, to be well positioned to to go after opportunities as we see them. Our next question comes from the line of Steve Powers with Georgia Bank. Thanks and good morning, um, James. I don't know, maybe John wants to weigh in here too. But following up on where you started with um, Dara and coming out globally, um, the updated guidance from today seems to call for a, a further acceleration in underlying growth on a two-year basis um, in the back half versus 19, especially at the, the top end of the range. And I guess I'm curious where you see that most being sourced from from a segment perspective, but also whether you have a bias um, as to that acceleration uh, and sequential improvement being more volume-led versus 19 um, or price mix-led as the system uh, fights through inflation, or, or whether you see it as a bit of both, just how you're thinking about the, the, the mix of revenue in the back half. Thanks. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, our, our expectations for the year, obviously we said we wanted to get back um, uh, to 2019 levels, and we made good progress, and, and we, we believe we're emerging stronger, and, and we're obviously raising the guidance. Uh, as we look um, into the, the back half of the year, you know, as John said, we're being clear-eyed about uh, the, the puts and takes uh, that exist out there. 
uh, you know, I think the the first thing I would suggest to you is 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 really take a look at the 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 2021, whether it's whichever quarter you want to look at, and have it on a two-year stack basis, whether that be the volume uh, or or the price mix. Obviously, you've got to look through the the stocking and destocking of the gallons, because obviously this time last year we were destocking gallons rapidly, and then notwithstanding the extra days in the first quarter, we've been restocking gallons. Um, um, uh, in this second quarter, but if you look at volume and price mix on a two-year basis, uh, what we're what we're expecting uh, to see is yes, some continued improvement into the back half of the year on a two-year uh, stacked volume basis as more countries get more vaccinations done and and more restrictions come off. Uh, clearly, there's plenty of room um, uh, for you know, different things to happen, the famous asynchronization, because markets go up and markets go down. But uh, generally speaking, we, we expect to see steady, uh, some steady, uh, although very moderate, sequential improvements on a two-year basis. And similarly, on, on a price uh, on a price mix basis, um, we, 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 we're looking, actually, you start looking at price mix on a two-year basis in Q2, you see it in the sort of ballpark we've always talked about. We've always talked about in the long-term growth model that we're kind of expecting, you know, two to three on price on on any average year. Um, and when you start looking on a, a annual, on a two-year basis of taking the annual increase, you start to see that in the second quarter. Um, and so our expectations of, of, of price mix are not um, to see something radically different, notwithstanding, uh, you know, the the 11 you saw in the second quarter, clearly it's not going to continue at 11 because it's cycling uh, a much more negative number in Q2 last year, uh, which is heavily driven by uh, package uh, and channel mix. But once you look through all of that, we, in underlying terms, essentially maintaining the same approach that we have had historically uh, pre-COVID uh, during uh, this, this, this kind of reopening. Our next question comes from the line of Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Good morning. I um, actually had a question on your guidance. You know, you raised your full-year outlook given the strength you saw in the quarter, but you didn't flow through the entire beat, especially on the bottom line, you know, given your new guidance now suggests EPS growth in the second half will be negative. So I was really hoping to understand the drivers, you know, behind this. Is it you know, cost pressures that might have gotten worse in the last few months versus, you know, the planned stepped-up investments that you called out, you know, ahead of the recovery. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, a couple of a couple of comments. Uh, one is the first half of the year we saw, we saw gallons ahead of cases, um, which we would expect to, uh, to normalize in the second half of the year. So I think you've got to factor that into account. Um, secondly, uh, the first quarter we had a few extra days, and they will come off in the fourth quarter. So that, that's a, a big piece of the, of the, of, of the equation that, we, that we've designed for, for the full year. Um, and then secondly, as we already discussed, the, in, the, in the investment space too, we're, uh, we would love to sort of end the full year um, with our, our marketing investments uh, continuing to step up. And... Um, you know, and margins back to better than 19, but not as strong as um, as, as 20. So um, that's all factored in. 
Our next question comes from the line of Camille Gajrawala with Credit Suisse. Hi, can you, um, this may be oversimplifying it, but can you maybe help us, your business has changed a bit in, in recent years, and maybe if you could just help us with what operating leverage looks like. Does a, does a 5% revenue mean a 7% profit growth? Does 6% revenue mean 10? Can you just give us an idea leverage lives down the P&L? Yeah, I'd say that I, I, Refer us back to our long-term, our long-term algorithm. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're we're managing through as as we've been discussing a a very, very interesting period. We we still think that the, you know, when you take all the puts and takes with the businesses that we have at the moment, that the long-term algorithm is still one that best reflects um, what we can deliver over the coming years. Now, clearly, if the if the, if the business mix changes, we we would need to we would need to review that. But, um, but I think the, um, the the I just refer you back to the algorithm, um, and we don't we don't see that changing in in the foreseeable future. Our next question comes from the line of Andrea Teixeira with J P Morgan. Uh, hi, Ab. Thank you so much. Um, so I just wanted to go back to the how the on-premises have been tracking as elected the quarter. So I'm hoping to see if you can. It sounds, James, you found that you're um, confident that, you know, we're seeing that lapping and, and, and obviously um, looking at the U.S. as an example, as you mentioned, you are quite confident that worldwide we're going to see that um, adding to to the recovery and adding to the on, on, uh, at home consumption. So I was hoping to see how you exit the quarter in places where infections um, have come back on a global basis, and and how can you quantify how volume sit relative to 2019 levels? I think you you called out in developed coming back to the same levels, but and how your mix in terms of finished goods and single serve is relative to the 2019. Um, sure. Uh, I'll try and offer a, a, a few thoughts there that, 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 that might help. Clearly, um, you know, when countries have gone, uh, when infections go up and greater restrictions uh, have come back in um, during the course of the second quarter, uh, you do see negative impacts on the on the business. Now, you know, over the last 15 months, we have worked very hard to make our, our, our business uh, more adaptable and more agile and, and able to pivot in the restrictions to, to, to help the consumers get the beverages they love, but often in the very short term it impacts the business. So, you know, if you look at places where uh, infections have spiked up recent, uh, recently in the second quarter, so, you know, Vietnam uh, went into some restrictions. They've done a good job of avoiding um, large restrictions, and, and so they were doing they were doing they were doing fine the first you know few months of the year, and then all of a sudden they've had some restrictions, and they were negative um, in June. Um, you know, similarly, India earlier in the quarter brought in a, 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 a strong set of restrictions, uh, and the business went negative. Uh, but then when they reopened, they bounced back. So clearly, um, uh, whilst we have adapted the business and made it more uh, resilient to levels of lockdown. You know, when these when these do occur, uh, wherever they do occur around the world, uh, it's going to impact the business. Um, we're going to bounce back quicker, uh, and we're going to suffer less, but it is going to impact the business. And so, as as you think about the outlook, 
Um, you know, clearly the direction of travel of, of COVID, its variants, the levels of infections and the levels of restrictions uh, are going to make a, a difference uh, to the business. Um, and then as it relates to uh, immediate consumption uh, and future consumption, uh, if I look on a, uh, a worldwide basis uh, and I look on um, a two-year stack rate, uh, what you can see is that now, you know, we have steadily improved through, uh, through the course of the pandemic such that the uh, immediate consumption uh, volumes uh, are now uh, slightly ahead of uh, 2019 uh, levels as we exited um, uh, the, the, the second quarter in June. So, and, and as I said in the in the opening or in the in the reflections on that first question from Dara on the U.S., that has not been followed by a mirror image decline in the at home. Clearly, some of the at home uh, on a two-year stack basis goes down uh, because people are now you know out and about uh, and at work, um, and, and so you now see the the, the, the two of them tracking. Uh, you see the at home tracking at the 2019 levels as well. So. That's why we feel that, uh, that there's some sequential improvement coming in the downhill, um, um, uh, moderate, but some. Our next question comes from the line of Rob Ottenstein with Evercore. Great. Thank you very much. Um, can you please talk maybe a, a little bit more about headline pricing and, and promo intensity? I, I, I think I heard you say that in, in Q2 your pricing was sort of at historical levels of, of 2 to 3%. Uh, I also heard you say that in the second half of the year uh, you would look to address, uh, you know, higher input costs with revenue growth management uh, initiatives. So maybe kind of talk about, um, you know, your, your thoughts on pricing in, you know, an environment where we've seen more inflation than we have in many years and how, um, how, you know, able the consumer is in your key geographies uh, to be able to take additional prices. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so, uh, clearly, obviously, the comments I made about pricing are on the two-year uh, stack basis and that we kind of see um, uh, when one takes out the effects of channel and geography, what, what, what you would see if you, if, if you had all the data. But, but what I'm saying is that over the course of the pandemic, we have taken a steady approach uh, to pricing to continue to price for our brand strength and RGM. Um, and then, of course, you know, we manage uh, input costs uh, increases of time, and, and, and we use our hedging strategies to not have, you know, to try and minimize the amount of sudden bumps um, because our, our, our overall belief is that, you know, if we focus on uh, creating the, the growth of the beverage category for our retail customers uh, ahead of their overall business, then that will be good for them and that we will do and gain share within that overall strategy. And that is best executed through steady investment in brands, steady investment in execution, and the use of RGM to meet the consumer with the pack size and the price point that they want. Um, and that includes then, you know, managing through the increases in input costs um, uh, in, a, in a rational uh, and staged way, and we obviously leverage hedging to make that uh, easier uh, uh, for us to do. Um, and so we do believe that, you know, um, categories or those people who have brands 
uh, that have strong consumer resonance uh, will be able to pass through costs, as, as we have done historically. Um, you know, we've, whilst in the U.S. inflation has been very moderate for an extended period of time, as it has been in Europe, we have plenty other countries in the world which uh, experience um, high or double-digit levels of inflation. And so the strategy on how to manage through that and stay engaged with the consumer to keep the momentum in the business and, and keep the margin structure uh, uh, steady uh, or improving uh, is a capability of the Coke system. Our next question comes from the line of Carlos Saboy with HSBC. Yes, good morning, everyone. Um, James, about three to four years ago, you said you wanted more robust experimentation with small experiments become, become big experiments, drive collaboration and revenues, and, and we see this thriving in Latin America, but might you share with us, um, perhaps in, the, in, in some developed markets where we don't have as clear a line of sight, um, how, how this is coming along, and, and maybe um, are there some wins that really stand out in this area? Sure, thanks, Philip. Um, I mean, we, we continue to drive the, 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 the collaborations uh, and the innovations. Um, if I just pick up a, a, a few of the ones um, that we've sort of elliptically uh, connected to today, um, you know, WABI, which started in Latin America, uh, both as B2C and B2B, we have used the platform to work with uh, bottlers in, in other parts of the world, whether that uh, be Europe or beyond, uh, on helping uh, us work together to, to improve the digitization and the B2B capability uh, beyond that. So you're, you're seeing expansions uh, of those experiments out of Latin America. You see expansions of experiments in the U.S., uh, whether it be um, AHA, which has continued to perform very well in the U.S. so far this year. Uh, we've launched that uh, in China. Um, uh, or, or in Fairlife, which has done uh, very well in the U.S., we're taking that uh, uh, to China as well. Um, and, and so there's some kind of uh, moving from, you know, from the west uh, to the east. You've got experiments that were taking place, um, uh, uh, you know, on top of Chico Hard Delta, which, which kind of started in a way as a global idea. It's now in, in each of the continents, and we've continued uh, uh, to expand it. Um, there are some there are some things going on in Asia, uh, in in the kind of non-black tea segments, uh, where we where we experimented in some of the ASEAN countries and it is expanding around. Um, so there really are you know some great experiments out there. You could even go to some of the packaging ones, um, like the use of of, of RPT, 100% uh, recycled PT, um, uh, which is really a key factor in driving a circular economy around packaging materials, started really in Europe, um, coming, coming to the U.S. Uh, recently with the 13-ounce uh, bottle that we, that, we, that we put into the marketplace. So we, you know, we're never satisfied as a kind of a philosophical starting point, um, but they're certainly starting to see more experiments happen out there and more discipline in working out which aren't working and stopping them and which have legs to be taken uh, to the next place. And, and, and interestingly, you're starting to see those experiments move in all directions. It's not just, you know, developed to developing or west to east or any one uh, direction. It's actually really starting to be ideas coming from all around the world and really having to uh, go through and work out which ones deserve uh, the shot at expanding globally. 
If I may, uh, James, I think in the supply chain also there's, uh, you know, over the last 12 to 18 months, a tremendous amount of you know, partnership collaboration that is um, that is delivering results in, um, in, in, the, in the individual entities across the world that I think will, will continue. Our next question comes from the line of Kevin Grunty with Jefferies. Great, thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, question for, for James. Just picking up uh, on uh, on the last line of questioning there around innovation. My question specifically for for hard seltzers and, and some of the early success that you've had there. Um, so, James, you mentioned some of the early learnings. I was hoping you could perhaps share those with us, particularly as it pertains to the seltzer category. And then more broadly, James, whether the success that you've had in uh, in the alcohol space emboldens the company a bit for, for further exploration in uh, in, uh, in alcohol, sort of outside non-alcohol. Your comments there would be helpful. Thank you. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so we're still very much... Uh, in, in the learning phase, it's not a category uh, we're familiar with, uh, particularly with the alcohol. It's got a number of important characteristics and regulatory characteristics and, and, and business characteristics that we need to learn about. So we have not got to the stage of concluding anything um, more strategic uh, or, or coming to the point of view that there is a, um, a bigger vision uh, for us out there in the flavored uh, alcoholic beverage space. We, we want to uh, learn and understand more before we decide uh, anything one direction or the other. Um, as, as it relates to some of the learning so far, um, I mean, clearly what, we, what we've discovered is obviously it makes a difference if the, if the category exists or doesn't exist in any particular country. I mean, we're in 17 markets today. We're on track to be in 28 markets around the world by the end of the year. Um, you know, we, we, we're learning what it takes to compete whether where the category exists. We're learning, you know, what it takes to help grow the category uh, where it doesn't exist. Um, so we, we, we're pleased, for example, in Latin America, where, for example, in Mexico, we, you know, with a number two uh, hard seltzer um, and getting some uh, uh, good traction and good velocity. Um, in, in Brazil, where it's more of an undeveloped category, uh, it, there's more kind of development needed. Uh, so we're trying to work out how that happens. Similarly, uh, in Europe, it's the number uh, one or two performer um, uh, in terms of rate and, and, and velocity um, um, in, in Europe. And so I think it's very interesting what's happening there. And obviously in the U.S., uh, it's got a lot of good traction. Uh, while it's still, of course, relatively small uh, uh, overall nationally, it's done particularly well where we have focused or where, uh, where, where Molson has focused the launch, which is in Texas, um, and, and done, you know, very well in Texas, looking good in, in, in kind of the southern states, California, uh, in Florida too. Retail customers, we understand, are very bullish. Lots of display activity uh, and activity. So we're, we're looking uh, to see that continue to expand. Of course, we're conscious that the overall hard seltzer category has come down in terms of its overall growth rates uh, in the U.S. That's not um, ultimately that big of a surprise to us because, it is a category that has been predominantly uh, an at-home uh, channel uh, category, much less um, uh, bars and restaurants uh, uh, category. And so as people have, you know, gone back out, um, clearly the, some of those occasions have moved from at-home to away from home. Um, so it's not too surprising that, 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 you know, some of the 
strong tailwinds the category got uh, in the lockdowns have uh, you know lessened, um, but we still think it's you know it's very interesting. Uh, it's got some long-term potential uh, in the U.S. It's very on-trend uh, for a lot of consumers, um, uh, and so we're continuing to to, to to look at that and um, um, uh, push on that and invest to see where we can go. Our next question comes from the line of Sean King with UBS. Great, thanks for the question. Um, how do you stand to benefit from uh, from the Olympics starting later this week? Um, you're really given an pandemic driven disruption around the world. Can you shed any light on any you know, marketing activation plans um, or just a general outlook on this opportunity given the pent up and sort of excitement for this type of event? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, kind of two ways of looking at it, one, uh, uh, those countries where the, the Olympics are broadcast to and then the actual activations uh, in Japan itself. I mean, clearly, uh, in Japan, given the restrictions, uh, we have dialed back all the, all the, the physical activations um, and, and are supporting uh, appropriately, you know, keeping supply of beverages to the, to the athletes, uh, etc. Um, um, but the physical activations is essentially uh, not going to happen. Uh, and then, uh, and so really, it's, as much as anything, it, it, it's about, um, you know, leveraging the airtime that the Olympics are going to get in places like the U.S. to, to, to market our programs. But very specific marketing activation uh, at a large scale isn't going to happen. I mean, part of it was like the uncertainty of, of whether they were going to happen or not led us to uh, move away from, you know, having any large extra fixed-cost investment um, in activating the market, uh, the Olympics for this year. Um, so we will, we will leverage the airtime to, to, to market our brands. Um, you know, you, you can still note even today the deputy, one of the people uh, in, in Tokyo said, this, you know, this, who knows what's going to happen, whether it will actually start. So we very much are taking the approach of take away the physical activation, uh, take away the, any fixed cost uh, that's, uh, that can only be used in the event of the Olympics and use uh, any, any rights and times we have for the general marketing of our brands. Our next question comes from the line of Laurent Grande with Guggenheim. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, got a question on Coca-Cola Zero, please. Um, you highlighted in your pre-remark the relaunch of Coca-Cola Zero with new packaging and recipe both closer to Coke, uh, Coke Regular. So in countries where it has already been launched, is the volume of sites you are, you are seeing I mean, coming from Regular, actually, or diet or competition, so any color uh, would have. Thanks. Uh, yeah, well, um, I mean, we're, obviously the, the, the answer is it depends in a way because it, each country has a slightly different mix uh, of starting from the, at the starting point of zero, or if depending if you're a country that's still got diet or light uh, and, and, the, and the size of, of, of classic. Um, the, 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 and so the starting point matters. Two. Um, clearly, it's a mix of everything. Um, what we what we what we like most about driving Coke Zero Sugar is, you know, we get a lot of business that is not self-cannibalisation. Um, you know, if it was all just coming from Coke and, and, and Coke Light, it would be it would be perhaps necessary, but not very exciting. Uh, what's exciting about it is that we are helping expand uh, the Coke franchise. So the, in other words, if you start standing back and looking at it globally, you can you can see both the growth of Coke Original, 
the very fast Coke, the growth of uh, Coke Zero, only some of which is coming from the cannibalization uh, uh, of, of Coke-like uh, or Diet Coke, depending on where you are in the world. So it's a net uh, accretion to the Coke franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our question and answer session. I would now like to turn the call back over to James Quincy for any closing remarks. Um, thanks very much, everyone. Um, as we said at the beginning, look, we're delivering on the priorities uh, we set out for ourselves to emerge stronger. Hopefully you can see that in both the results uh, and our guidance. And we just want to take the opportunity to thank once again uh, the extraordinary effort of our associates, uh, of our bottling partners and all our partners uh, that have allowed us to deliver these results and to, to raise our guidance for the outlook. Um, our system is strong. Our bottling partners are strong. We continue to invest behind momentum and the huge growth opportunity ahead of us. Thanks for your interest, your investment, uh, and uh, for joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.